0: All right. Um, this evening we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. I think in keeping uh, with a certain level of tradition, uh, we try to make, uh, as preachers, we try to make Sunday morning as applicable as possible, and then you get to your evening and your Wednesday night service, and that becomes more of a theological training, and uh, I, as all of you in this room experienced, I had the same experience growing up, uh, where we went into some deeper truths on uh, Sunday nights, and uh, I want to take this opportunity to uh, kind of impart some of that doctrine here with the church this evening. So it's not going to be a hellfire and brimstone uh, you know, message, not that I preach hellfire and brimstone or anything like that, uh, but I, I just want to take some time to study out kind of something that we've seen uh, play out in our, uh, our the, the, the sermons this morning. And uh, it's, it's based around the doctrine of sin. and So when we talk about the doctrine of sin, it has a technical term, and that's Uh and That's what the theologians would use to attribute to that particular doctrine. And in studying homardiology, it's a uh, universal doctrine. It affects uh, everybody. It affects God. It affects man. It affects the angels. Uh, all are uh, affected by sin, and many are infected by sin. And so I want to take time to look here in Romans chapter 5. And the the Bible is going to give us really three categories uh, within sin. So uh, you have sin, uh, then you have sins, and then you have sinners. Now, you might say, well, that just sounds like you're just changing the plurals of words there. Uh, But it's not. All of these are categorically different. And as such, we have to approach it uh, in a different perspective. Uh, Christ didn't just die for sin. He died for our sins and he died for sinners. And so to understand those three things is to really understand uh, what the full payment of what Christ did. And so we're here in Romans chapter five and verse 12. And God is going to, to relay through Paul some wisdom as to uh, how we've been infected with this disease of sin. Verse 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Okay, so uh, what is being passed here in this circumstance? Well, it's sin. Uh, now, did Adam pass his action from himself to his sons? No, he didn't pass the action. He passed the nature. Uh, so when we talk about sin, sin in its its singular form here is going to be talking about human nature. So as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Uh, that sin nature was conceived there in Adam as a result of his sin in the garden. And as if you have a father, uh, that sin is now passed on to you. Uh, so uh, then it talks about death. So what is the death that Adam experienced there in the garden? Uh, well, it was a threefold death. Uh, m- maybe he was thinking of it in a physical term, uh, but it had A larger impact on his life. It was uh, a physical death in that Adam would eventually die. Uh, It was in God's complete right to kill Adam in that very moment. He could have started over again, uh, but because Adam had free will, uh, in order to be able to express free will, free will has to be tested. And so God provides a test to Adam uh, in which he fails the test. And In a way proves that he had free will he chose to sit in the garden Uh, so he has this physical death he begins to become decrepit over time he doesn't die instantly the bible shows us that he lives to something over 900 years old that's a long time to live uh, in our day and age Uh, but he began to die physically he began to die spiritually instantaneously there is now a gulf fixed between him and God. God comes looking for him and Adam's not looking for God anymore. Uh, Adam is actually doing the exact opposite in the garden. He's hiding from God. He's avoiding God. Uh, And so he has this spiritual death that occurs in his relationship with God. Uh, But it also introduces the opportunity for eternal death. Uh, So it's a a physical death, it's a spiritual death, it's an eternal death. Uh, If he chooses not to reconcile himself with God spiritually, uh, he will be removed from the presence of God eternally. And so uh, it's a threefold death that affects all of Adam. And in that, uh, sin nature is now conceived in Adam. So what exactly is sin nature? Uh, well, sin nature is uh, the propensity in man uh, to veer towards sin. It's it's within our nature to want to sin. Uh, it's in our nature to sin. We all sin, and the Bible shows us that over and over again in Scripture uh, that man, when left to himself, is going to uh, sin at some point in time. Uh, now, there's a lot of doctrines out of there out there that have. Uh, altering and difficult to understand names. Uh, You have Pelagianism. Pelagianism is the belief that uh, while man doesn't have a sin nature, he can choose to either do right or do wrong, but he's not forced by nature uh, to to choose either right or wrong. Uh, And so they believe that it's possible for man to live a perfect life if he truly wants to. Uh, But uh, and they, and Pelagius, he believed that man did live a perfect life in in some instances, other than Jesus Christ. Well, I wouldn't believe that. Then there's you have semi-Pelagianism, which sounds bad and is kind of bad to a certain degree, uh, but is kind of different than what Pelagius was saying. And the semi-Pelagians would say, uh, well. As a result of Adam's sin, sin nature came into the world. Sin nature was passed upon all men. And man was eternally dead. uh, And a dead man can't seek after God. Uh, But in the heart and life of man is an island of decision in which a man can choose towards God. And uh, while it sounds good on the outside, it's not necessarily theologically correct. I would find myself agreeing with them in most of the circumstances, uh, but it's actually a lot more complicated than in an island of will, if you will. Uh, it, it's something that Christ had to rescue us from, and that doesn't make me a Calvinist in any way. I don't believe God uh, predestined anybody to Damnation. I believe we have a free will, uh, but there's a, a universal curse that's upon us, uh, but there's also a universal call uh, to all to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, so as a result of sin nature being in and a part of our lives, uh, we're now guilty. Guilty by association. Everybody's guilty. As by one man, sin entered into the world and death uh, and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned and so how did sin enter into the world well it started with the sin of man how is it passed into the world well it's passed by men uh, how many of you have a father uh, you have a physical father. Everybody in this room has a physical father. There's only one person who's ever lived who did not have a physical father, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he existed physically. He was 100% man. He was 100% God, uh, but he did not have an earthly father like we would have. And so as a result of that, sin nature is not passed from Mary to Jesus. Uh, Jesus did not possess a sin nature. Je- Jesus did not have a propensity towards sinning. I personally believe that Jesus, there was no possibility of Jesus to sin. He couldn't sin. Now, in the desert, the devil comes and he tries to uh, tempt him, right? Uh, but temptation isn't, is, is an action that doesn't necessarily mean that there's an inclination to fall into it, Right? Uh, I could take a a little kid's boat, right? And I could go and throw it up against the United States' largest battleship, right? I could do that all day long. Is that battleship ever gonna sink from me ramming that little toy boat up against that battleship? No, it's not gonna happen. The same thing applies to the devil. The devil can try all he wants to tempt Jesus Christ, uh, and Jesus isn't going to fall prey to that. And so some people would say, well, in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Well, that's the truth, uh, and no doubt about it. But when it's talking about that, it's talking about the exact same situation that Adam had gone through, right? Right? the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. How many of you have had Satan come before you and and say, take over all the nations of the world? Nobody? Nobody's had that conversation with Satan yet? Okay. What about Satan coming to you and asking you to turn stones into bread? No, I haven't had that conversation. Or casting myself off the top of a building and raising myself back to life again. So the manner in which he was tempted was the same, the lust of the flesh. That's, you want to eat, you're hungry in the desert. Bread, the lust of the eyes. The devil shows him all the nations of the earth. The pride of life, kill yourself and raise yourself back to life again. And so he was tempted in all points like Adam was, yet without sin. He didn't have that sin nature. And so as a result of that, he is not guilty by association. Uh, although he can be associated with man, uh, he's not associated in that theological sense. Uh, he's only associated in his uh, maternal relationship towards us and in his physical being. And so Jesus is without sin. And so, as a result of him being without sin, uh, without committing sins, without having sin nature, uh, he's able to become that sacrificial lamb on our behalf. And so, sin, uh, when it's talking about here, is that sin nature. It's passed upon all men. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So what What Paul is saying here is sin existed in the world, uh, but it couldn't be added to somebody's account until the law was given. Now they were guilty right? They were guilty of committing sins, uh, but there wasn't a consequence, a natural consequence uh, like as we have today. Uh, See it with Cain and Abel. What does Cain do? Cain goes and he murders his brother Abel. Now, did God kill Cain because of, of his sin? No. The law tells us that that's how murder should be dealt with, but there was no law in that moment, and so that sin can't be imputed to Cain. And so the law had to be given as a schoolmaster, to teach us what is and is not right. Uh, The propensity in man is to veer towards doing what is wrong. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Again, it's telling us that Adam, here's this first Adam, is a picture of who was to come, and that's Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And so death continued, to reign, and while it was not imputed as a result of the inexistence of the law at this point in time, uh, it was still a problem in and amongst man. And uh, so the Bible is going to use uh, this terminology around rain, uh it, it, Throughout this passage of scripture, you can break down the the categories of the world. So you have the categories that relate to um, singularity, as by one man sin entered into the world. It's going to talk about how uh, by one man all are saved. Uh, It's going to talk about the figure of him uh, that was to come. It's going to talk about life and death. Uh, It uses the word death over and over again. It's going to use universal language. All men, all have over and over again. It's going to use legal terminology, law, imputed. Uh, It's going to use royal terminology, that word reigned. It's going to use uh, other sinful language. We're going to see that here. Uh, We saw it here in verse 14, transgression, offense, offense, over and over again, Um, offenses, disobedience. And so we really start to break down what this passage is talking about. So we have sin, and now sin has entered into the world, we are all now guilty regardless. And so the Bible has this other category of those who have sinned, sinned. Now, those who have sinned are not all sinners, are not all sinners. Now, that sounds odd, right? But it's not. And here's why. Sinners... Are people who commit sins? Now, does everybody who has ever lived committed a sin? Uh, we would think so, right? But no. There's babies, right? You think of a, a baby, one day old. They're born into the world. They don't have the, the the faculties to commit sins. Now, are they guilty? Yes, but how? By association, they have a father. So they're guilty by the law, but they have not committed sins. And so they are not sinners yet. And that's what we see there in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, the Bible could have said, if it meant it, that all were made sinners, but it doesn't because not all are sinners. And now we start to see the picture of Christ's sacrifice on a larger scale, It wasn't that he just came to conquer sin. He came to conquer sins, the things that we do. He came to conquer sinners. That's those people who would and do commit sins. And he came to conquer sin, our very nature, which we want to commit sin. Uh, And so we get into verse 15, but not as the offense. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So again, it's not this universal language. Not everybody is going to uh, receive that grace of Jesus Christ. You have to accept the gift of grace uh, in order for it to be applied to you. And not as, verse 16, not as uh, it was by one that sinned, so is the gift For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So again, we see that picture of uh, the juxtaposition. Sin reigned and now Christ reigns. Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedient many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we have sin, guilt by association. Let me find this verse real quick. Then we have sins. Those are the the bad things that we do. Trespasses. Trespasses. Uh, things which uh, are contrary to the divine nature, whether in action uh, or in nature, uh, those things which are contrary to God are automatically sinful in nature. And so we get to First Corinthians chapter, 18, uh, chapter 15 verse three, "For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So now Christ has died for sin. He died for the nature that we have in us. And now he's died for our sins, the bad things that we do. And so who is, who commits sins? Sinners, sinners commit sins. Now, not everybody is made a sinner. The Bible shows us that not all are sinners, uh, that many are sinners. Now, this does not mean that they don't sin. And that sounds weird, right? Because when I say sin there, I'm talking about falling short. Uh, Word sin in a literal sense is uh, uh, that gives the connotation of archery. Uh, When somebody draws their bow back and they're aiming for a target and they miss their target, uh, they've fallen short. They have sinned. Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says, right? So that can contain those who are guilty by nature and that can contain those who are guilty by action. And so now, if you're in this room, Uh, When Paul is writing to Christians, if they can read what he's writing, they've committed sins. Uh, Everybody in this room has committed sins. Uh, It's really only by technicality that some do not commit sins. But that just goes to show you how deep God's understanding of sin truly is. It goes beyond our understanding. We look at it in a kind of a blanket form. But from the beginning of time, God knew exactly what needed to be conquered and how it needed to be conquered. Christ couldn't be born of a man because he could not have a sin nature. He had to conquer the sin nature. Christ could not commit sins because he could not be guilty of sins. And therefore, if he's not guilty of sins, uh, he cannot be a sinner. He did not fall short. He's the only one who has not fallen short. And because of that, he is the only possible prevention for our eternal death. The only possible prevention. And so we get into this conundrum. Well, what if Christ sinned? Not possible. There is no other options by God to deal with this circumstance. And that's what's beautiful about the scriptures. And that's what's beautiful about our God is that he is bound to himself. He himself cannot break his rules. From the beginning, he knew the circumstances. He knew the legality around the situation and worked for our benefit in those things so that Christ could become that for us. A deep thought. So now we get into this whole concept of innocence. We talked about it a little bit this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you'll turn there really quick. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy 1 and verse 39. Moreover, your little ones, which he said should be a prey, and your children which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil. They shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Now, this isn't necessarily speaking about sin in in its initial context. It's talking about uh, innocence in this circumstance. But the way that God views the individuals involved in the circumstance is different than how we would define individuals in the circumstance. He's talking about there is individuals who did not have a knowledge between good and evil. And then we look at Numbers chapter 19, and we find out that the people that he's talking about are between the ages of newborn and 19 years old. Well, that's a a very large swath of people to be innocent in a way. And we talked a little bit this morning about hot and cold cognition, how God did not hold it against them uh, because they were incapable. Uh, of making a, a wise decision uh, Simply because of how God created them it was, uh, It's just a, a natural part of, of growing uh, Having to make those mistakes uh, Making mistakes in hot cognition uh, Will help your cold cognition, right? Uh, when you realize you've made a mistake uh, You're able to think hypothetically into the future How can I avoid making this mistake again? And so God does not hold that against them But God is a God of justice. And so as a God of justice, sin has to be dealt with. And what is, how does God deal with sin? Through death. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so you have a baby who's come into the world. Is that an innocent child? Not legally. At least in the way that God views it. That child is as vehemently disgusting to God as any other sinner in this world. Should be, right? But Christ died for that child. That child is covered by Christ. And so this is where we get into that conversation David has after his sin with Bathsheba. He has a child, what happens with the child? The child dies, he's upset, he's distraught. He begins to write, I. he will not return unto me, but I will go unto him. Well, how is that possible? It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. God has every right to deny that to that child, but he doesn't. And that's mercy, that's justice. Why? Because it was within God's right to, be, to have that sin fulfilled, that sin nature fulfilled. And it is and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, as a result of that, children are innocent. Now, as to when they stop being innocent, I don't know. I can't give you that answer. All I'm saying is that the Bible shows us that it's, it's probably a lot larger than we anticipate. And so that ought to give us hope in a way, right? For your children, maybe for people who don't have the capacity to understand what is right and wrong uh, by physical reasons or mental reasons. God is a just God. God is a merciful God. And that is something that we can hold on to. It, it, It would be fair for God to say no, but God is in a way unfair, not unfair to us, unfair to himself. He made a way for us. And so Jesus has now died for those innocent. So Christ has conquered sin for children. Your your nature is automatically conquered by Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you no longer have a nature. It just means you're no longer guilty by your nature. Christ died for sin now some are going to go out and they're going to commit sins and sins demand a price and death is that price for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Uh, so he's, he's made them innocent by association now he has to make them innocent by their actions and so how does he do that? He has to be tempted like as we are. Now, if Jesus had gone his whole life, had never had one temptation, is he really conquering sins? No. Now, it doesn't mean that the type of temptation has to put him into a situation where he could possibly sin, but it means that he has to be tempted. He has to be tempted. He has to overcome the action of sin. And he does that not only through his daily life, but he does that through the direct temptation of the devil. He overcomes sins. And so now Jesus Christ has overcome sins. And so because he's overcome sins, in a way he overcomes sinners. Now Everybody in this room, for the most part, I mean, I don't see any newborns and I'm sure there's little kids in here who have committed sins before and been punished for them uh, by their parents but when we talk about sinners we're talking about those people who commit sins so when paul writes about sinners and to sinners he's saying you're all sinners you've all fallen. if you're able to read this you're able to to sin you're able to fall and everybody has fallen. We talked a little bit this morning about how uh, you're sinning when you don't even realize you're sinning, when you're impeding upon the divine nature. Uh, the, the goal for man is to be like God, like God, not a little bit like God, not to your best of your ability like God. You have to be eternally holy, without sin without spot without blemish that is the goal and so if there's any portion in you that comes even minutely close to that you are now infinitely separated from a holy god Uh, we think about it this way Uh, so god is is an infinite god right he's existed in infinity and in infinity and so You take infinity and you multiply it by two. What do you have? More or less? You you don't, you still have infinity, right? And so the goodness of God, the nature of God is in its way constantly expanding. Constantly, as time goes on, as infinity continues, that's mind boggling, right? The day you were born, you were capped at one. One. You've committed one sin. You were born. You were conceived. One sin. In, Isaiah writes about it. In sin I was conceived. In my mother's belly. That's where it all started. You were capped at that moment from an infinitely holy God. So you are now infinitely separated from God. That puts everything into perspective, right? It, it puts into perspective how bad we are. It also puts into perspective how big a gap Christ has made, how big the bridge that he get, how big the gap that he bridged for us is. It's an infinite one, and one that could only be accomplished by an infinite God. And so Christ must be God. He must be. There is no other option. He has to be holy man, and he has to be holy God. He has to be a holy man, and he has to be a holy God. And so we've, in a way, you've proven the divinity of Christ just through logic. You don't even need the Bible at that point. Now I'm not saying you don't need the Bible. I'm just saying that God has thought about this for a long time and he's imparted this to us in his word and we can grab hold of it. And all of the, I'm not trying to beat down anybody tonight but the gap was just astonishing. astonishing the gap grows every day, and Christ did it for us. The probability, improbable. The possibility, seemingly impossible. But with through Christ, all things were possible. And so that's really all Romans five is trying to tell us. It's a a, a deep concept, but we have the, those different categories just right here. Sin sins. Sinners. They all mean something so different to us, but so similar. And so, this is like the beginning of uh, a, a paper that I, I want to write about Homardiology and the, the development of the prefrontal cortex, the age of innocence, and sins, sins, and sinners, and the difference between those things. Because his hand is just on everything. I mean, on everything you can see him working in ways that we laymen have never even thought about never even thought about think about the loopholes that God has filled in his own word on your behalf some things that we probably don't even know about there's going to be some things that are revealed to us in heaven that were plain as day in his word that I don't think we anybody even realized he's an infinite God infinite possibilities with him and that's something that we hold on to it's scary in a lot of ways I think about heaven sometimes I get anxious you know you think about eternity there's almost a desire within yourself to want an end at some point just for something to stop like there has to be a finality I don't understand it but he does And I don't have to understand it here. I'll understand it there. Christ gives the grace and Christ provides. Christ bridged the gap. And so that's really all I wanted to get into this this evening. I know it wasn't a terribly long message, uh, but when we think about how far we've fallen as man, how short we fall from Christ, It really puts into perspective, makes you want to be nicer to the people around you, right? You got blessed. You got blessed. I mean, the the difference between you and them is a slim difference, a very slim difference. doesn't make you any better. You're still doing, you're still making the same mistakes they are. But you've been forgiven. And Christ is willing to forgive them. And we need to go out and tell them of this great forgiveness. That's what's missing in our churches today in a lot of ways. We're unwilling to preach on th- how serious sin is sometimes. Sin's disgusting. But we make pets out of it, we make celebrations out of it, we make months about it. That's disgusting to God. I'm not here to bash anybody's sin, I'm a sinner. You're no better than those people. No better. Whatever sin you committed today is as disgusting to God as all of that. Seek forgiveness. He's willing to give it to you. He's willing to bridge the gap. What a thought. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for bridging the gap for us. Lord, you've conquered sin. Lord, you've conquered sins. You've conquered sinners. We're eternally grateful for it, Lord, indebted to you. God, help us to be good Christians. Lord, help us to seek forgiveness. Lord, help us to uh, be disgusted with our sin. Help us to continually seek your face and your holiness. God, thank you for doing for us what we could never do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it applies in our hearts and in our lives. We pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher.